Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Road to Rank podcast. My name is Dr. Steven Kruger, and I'm here to give you advice for a successful residency match. It's October 2020, and residency application deadlines are right around the corner. Given everything that we've talked about so far on the podcast, I figured it was time for a new perspective. Today I'll be interviewing Dr. Karen Wiss, who is a Dermatology Residency Program Director, and she'll be giving us all kinds of good, juicy, behind-the-scenes details related to her job picking which applicants to interview and then ultimately rank. In the interview, she'll also give some really helpful tips for applicants and even some words of encouragement, which I think is really important to hear from someone in her position. Now, of course, Dr. Wiss is a dermatology program director, so her opinions may differ not only from other derm program directors, but from those in other specialties as well. In any case, there's a lot that can be taken from this interview, no matter what specialty you'll be applying into. So be ready to take some notes, and let's dive right into this Road to Rank interview. I am joined here today by Dr. Karen Wiss, who is a pediatric dermatologist, as well as the residency program director at the University of Massachusetts Department of Dermatology. So welcome, Dr. Wiss, and thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast and share some of your insights. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right, great. So I figured we would start by um, you just giving us kind of a sense of the numbers of it all. How many applicants do you receive every year? What does it whittle down to? A little bit about that. We usually get somewhere between 500 and 550 applications per year for our three residency positions that we take through ARIS. And from that number, we usually interview up to 30, maybe 25 to 30 of those applicants. So we, we have about 500 to 550 applications to go through. We do request uh, a supplemental, a brief supplemental essay of 100 words or less asking the applicant why they might be interested in our program. And that is somewhat helpful. We do require that people complete that to be considered by our program. And then uh, we go from there. Okay. So once you have those hundreds of applications sitting in front of your desk, what's the process like from there? We don't tend to use any filters, except uh, we do filter out foreign medical graduates. We can pull them out of the filter if we know them or we hear about them. Uh, But that is an initial filter. And that usually gets us from our 500 or 550 down to about uh, 450, 400 applications somewhere in there. And that's really the only filter that we use. And then we dole all of those applications out to the various faculty members. And we have a, a worksheet that we use. We've for many years used a very holistic approach to residency applications. And we look at 
you know, lots of lots of things. We look at letters of recommendation. We look at the dean's letter. We look at diversity. We look at resiliency. We look at scores, um, numbers of honors in core clerkships, and the the faculty members each. We divide them up somewhat evenly. Faculty members go through them, and uh, then they make a decision as to whether we should get a second opinion on the application, whether we should interview the person, or whether we should uh, not consider an interview for that person. From that process, then everybody who we think we want to interview or we might want to interview gets a second look, and we go through the, the process, and then we'll end up with oftentimes between 100 and 150 people that we think we might want to interview. Then we have a residency selection meeting and we talk about each of the candidates and why we think they would be the right fit for our program. So it sounds like, as you mentioned, it's a very holistic process where you're taking different components of the application into consideration, probably weighing them a little bit differently depending on the applicant, I would imagine. I was hoping we could kind of break down the application a bit and talk about uh, your thoughts on on each of those components. So starting with uh, board scores, because certainly that's on every applicant's mind. You said you don't necessarily have a screening cutoff. Can you talk uh, a little bit more about your your thoughts about board scores? And, and my thoughts, certainly don't re- represent everyone's thoughts. I have found though that some of our best residents didn't have the highest board scores and sometimes some of our best residents did. So we, we look at them, um, you know, we would be concerned if someone had very low board scores, we would want to find out why that was. Is it someone who has test anxiety? Is that something we could help with? But we don't put a lot of weight on board scores because it doesn't seem to represent how a resident's going to perform in residency. I mean, obviously, if they have high board scores, then we don't have to worry about that, but um, it isn't something that we tend to focus on very much in our program, just because we don't find that that, we, we would lose a lot of really outstanding applicants and candidates if we used a cutoff for board scores. Okay. I think that's an important point for a lot of people to hear who, who stress about this, this part of the application. Just before we move on from board scores, you may have heard that the step one exam will now be pass-fail. Do you have any thoughts about how that may or may not change the weight of, of board scores on the application? Yeah, I think it's already evolving this year. And I think many programs are starting to do more a more holistic review anyway. There has been discussion in recent years that board scores weren't really all that helpful anyway. So I think it's not surprising that we're getting away from it. I mean, I think it's a good thing that they're going to be pass fail. It will maybe, maybe some programs will feel like they have to rely more heavily on grades and clinical rotations and that sort of thing. And I understand the rationale for looking carefully at board scores because it compares students at different institutions. But I still, I think overall, it's probably a good thing that there'll be less of a focus on board scores. Good to know. So uh, the other main component of the application that comes from the preclinical years is, of course, 
uh, one's activities, their extracurricular activities. Do you have any thoughts about what makes a good, you know, extracurricular experience? Or do you want to see a certain theme? Or do you want the applicant to be able to tell a story through their extracurriculars? What thoughts do you have about that? Yeah, I, I guess I just like to see that they're passionate about something. Having multiple extracurricular activities, I don't think weighs in as much as having some that are meaningful and meaningful to the applicant. And if it gives them an opportunity to talk about that in their personal statement, I think that that is, is quite meaningful. You, know, you want to see that someone, that an applicant does have some activities and things they're interested in besides their their regular kind of medical school curriculum. But I think there's so many opportunities to participate and give back and show leadership. I don't think any activity is really more than another. It just are worth more than another. I think you just have to um, take it as part of the person. Okay. And uh, another activity, of course, is research that's commonly talked about among med students and uh, probably among a lot of residency selection committees. What are your overall thoughts about research on an application? I may answer it differently than some people. Some programs are very focused on the amount of research that a student has done. I think it really depends on a lot of factors. If they did an extra year, they should have quite a bit of research. Some applicants have chosen not to do an extra year, and I don't think they should be penalized for that. But I do like to see that there has been some scholarly activity in the field of dermatology. That could be case reports, that could be some poster presentations, uh, they could be in, it could be involvement in larger studies, that would be great. Uh, I just don't think every student has had those opportunities and we need to view what they've done in the context of what their opportunities have been. Students from schools where they don't have a dermatology residency may not have had those opportunities. Um, but I do know there are some residency programs that are very, very focused on the amount of research, and there might be a grading based on the number of publications a student has had and whether they were a first author or second author and um, how prestigious a journal the article was published in, et cetera. Okay. I, I really care about getting residents who are going to work hard with good interpersonal skills and some of them may not have had the opportunity to do a lot of research. Hopefully we can excite them about doing research while they're here. Right, right, of course. So just to kind of drill down a little bit more on that. So you don't necessarily put much weight, it sounds like, into whether someone's a first author versus a second author, whether it's a case report versus uh you know, something a little bit more substantial, like, for example, a chart review study, or do you kind of weigh those things differently? I think it just depends on the opportunities. If someone did an extra year of research, I would expect them to have some publications where they were the first author. They had, they had plenty of time to do that. But if it's someone who didn't extend, uh, I would like to see that they were first author on you know, case or few case, two or three case reports at least, and then maybe they had a poster presentation. But I know that individual may not have had the same kind of opportunities. If it was someone who was late coming to dermatology, also that they realized 
maybe in their last year that they dermatology was what they were passionate about. I think it's maybe harder for them also to have those kinds of publications. But I don't look for a specific number. It's just in the context of the person. Mm-hmm. And for those, that last group that you talked about that might have come late to dermatology, how do you view their research in other fields? Do you basically view it as a zero uh, because it wasn't dermatology specific, or do you still view it favorably somehow? I would view it favorably. It's some research experience. It means they'll have some knowledge in doing research, and they may have some interest in doing that, even though it was another in another field. I, I would value it, but not as much as research in dermatology. Okay, great. Let's move on to clerkship grades. So, of course, that's one area where objectively applicants can look a little bit different. Of course, each school grades their, you know, third and fourth year medical students a little bit differently. How do you view clerkship grades? Are you looking at the comments that come with them? Are you looking at class rank? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, most schools don't have class rank now, so it is very hard to look at that. The I like to see that an applicant has had the highest grade in some of their clerkships, if not all of their clerkships. But it's very hard for students to achieve honors in every single clerkship or higher honors, whatever your school uses. At UMass, it's high honors now is the, the highest designation. Uh, and I recently learned that only Four out of 174 students this year at UMass had honors, high honors in all of their core clerkships. So that's very unusual. But I would like to see that a student has high honors or the highest designation in at least three or four of their clerkships. So you mentioned the personal statement briefly. Uh, I'm curious how important you think the personal statement is. Some people think it's a lot more important than I do. (laughs) I do read it carefully if this is someone we think we're going to interview. When I'm just screening applications, I tend to only just read the first line of every paragraph and the last line, uh, just because it takes a lot of time to go through all those applications. But if we are considering interviewing the person, then I read it very carefully. The problem with personal statements is sometimes they are a little too vague and a little too just like everyone else's. You know, they they uh, they don't tell me enough about the person. I like personal statements when I feel like I really get to know the person and what makes them tick and what they're looking for. I think a lot of applicants, at least to dermatology, are concerned about being too specific in their personal statement. They think that they'll get excluded because of that, but then it makes it a little harder to know whether the person clicks with our program. So I like them to really let me know the person. You also don't know how much help an individual has gotten with writing their personal statement. Sometimes the person we meet doesn't match up at all with the personal statement that we saw. But having said that, there are many people in our department and in other departments who look at the personal statement very, very carefully, and they think it's the most important part. Hmm. Okay. So kind of jumping off from that, I wanted to talk about how an applicant can share with you, the program director, what their interests may be within the field. 
Um, like you said, some people may fear that that pigeonholes them a little bit too much. Um, others may kind of feel that that's their way of showing a program that they'll contribute in a specific way. How have you seen people do that well? Um, any other thoughts you can share about that? Well, you know, one opportunity is to add a paragraph at the bottom of the personal statement for programs that they're particularly interested in. So if someone puts at the bottom, I'm interested in UMass because blah, 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 and what they say actually makes sense, it, it speaks to the strengths of our department, then I think that's really very helpful. I know it takes some extra time to do that and change your personal statement for individual programs. So that's very helpful. Uh, they certainly can reach out to me or to the program director um, and, you know, with a specific interest in our program. Soon, we hope, not this year, but next year, there'll also be this token system where students can maybe choose three programs besides their home program that they're especially interested in, and the tokens will go to those programs. So we'll know that, uh, that they have, a, you know, extra interest in our, in our program. The next step, I guess, would be the interviews themselves. So I'm curious, again, how much weight you put on the interview, what people have done that's really impressed you and your you know, colleagues, what people uh, frequently do that's maybe detrimental to their candidacy, any thoughts you have on the actual interview day? I think the interview is very important Typically, anyone we've invited would be a good dermatology resident based on their paperwork. Uh, but uh, having an opportunity to see how they feel in our setting, how they interact is really important to see how enthusiastic they are in what we have to offer. I think it's really important for the applicant too because they don't, they don't really know until they get here. Um, what kind of hits them and, and what doesn't. So I think the interviews are extremely important. Um, although, you know, we can, our, our group of faculty and residents can meet all the same people and have a very different impression. We do realize that sometimes people are very nervous and that can interfere with their ability to interact. So we do try to have some more casual settings with the residents and over lunch so that people can kind of let their hair down and feel comfortable. My feeling about the interviews is that it should be as least intimidating as possible because if they feel intimidated, they're not, you're not going to really get to know them. If Not that we can get to know anybody in 10 or 15 minutes anyway, but um, I feel like if it's a relaxed setting where we just kind of chat and get to know each other, you know, asking some, some good questions, hopefully. But I think that can, uh, help us get to know the person a little bit better. Okay, great. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I felt like when I was going through the whole process of interviewing, those interviews where I felt intimidated or the stone facing, they call it, where you don't yeah. feel like you're getting yeah. much of a response. I felt like I didn't do as well because I wasn't as comfortable. I didn't feel like I was right. being myself. So I completely right. agree with the, the low pressure scenario. I wanted to uh, obviously turn to this year in particular, the 2020 to 2021 application cycle, because it's a, it's a weird year all around. It's a historic year in terms of the COVID-19 pandemic. And with 
applications specifically. There's been no uh, away rotations for most programs. The interviews will look a little different this year. I wanted to hear uh, how you think this year will go and what you think applicants can be doing to, to make a difference this year. Yeah, it's really so hard to know how it's going to be when it comes time to, to for interviews. I know it will have been hard for students to get some of the experiences that they might have gotten otherwise, either by doing electives or maybe working with different people and getting some research done. Um, we have been asked by the you know national groups to take a little bit more uh, open-minded approach to it this year um, and look more carefully at letters from non-dermatologists, which I know we didn't really talk yet about letters of, of recommendation. But um, so I would expect that there might be might not be as many opportunities for students around the country to have done as much, much research or to have letters from dermatologists, things we would have recommended in the past. Um, and I think it's gonna be interesting to see what Zoom interviews are, are like. Um, although I think you can have a pretty good conversation with someone on Zoom, but it's gonna be hard for programs to really show their facilities and show um, how we interact with each other. Um, that's a hard thing, I think, to get on Zoom. And it's it, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be challenging to, to figure out how to do that. Um, another concern, though, is that because there are no travel expenses, that applicants may apply to even more programs than usual. We hope that's not true, because that's just going to make it even harder for everyone else. One change that is happening this year for dermatology is that there is going to be a set interview release date for the first time at the end of November. Although the programs who are participating and hopefully it will be all or most, will send out invitations on the same day and the applicants will have about a week to look at their invitations and then uh, make a decision and then a second round will go out. So I think that will be really helpful because sometimes I think you know, the same set of students is getting lots and lots of interviews and it's taking away some opportunities for some other potential students. Right. I completely agree. I, I think that will be hugely helpful. Again, going through this somewhat recently and you know, having your phone on you at all times, ready for any email to come through, it's, it just adds stress to the process. And I agree with you. I think it ends up where a few applicants get most of the interviews as opposed to spreading out the wealth a little bit more. You mentioned letters of recommendation. Thank you for the reminder. I want, I wanted to talk about that with you. Um, people are constantly thinking about who to ask for the letter of recommendation. Uh, should they ask someone they feel they know a little bit better? Should they ask someone they think is a bigger name in their field and might get a little more recognition? Do you have any thoughts about, uh, about how to approach asking letter writers and then, you know, how much weight that has on the application. Yeah, I think it's best to ask people who know you well. And in dermatology, if you can get those letters from dermatologists, that's preferred. But if you cannot, if there's some, you had a research mentor or someone in internal medicine that knows you well and can write a strong letter, uh, then that would be a good person. I, I, I actually don't know that the chairs and the program directors are always the best choice for writing letters. Sometimes they don't know 
the applicants as well. So having kind of a vague letter from someone who doesn't know you that well, but just happens to be the chair of the department isn't really going to help. Whereas if you have someone who knows you well and can say, this is one of the best students I've ever worked with, you know, any, anything like that um, can make a huge difference. And I, I rely very heavily on the letters of recommendation when I'm going through application packets. Um, sometimes I know the people who are writing them, not always. I know what kind of letters they write. Uh, usually there are no bad letters of recommendation, but there are some that are exceptional. And then that really means a lot. Okay. So in your mind, is it the, all the same if you read a letter from somebody you actually know in the field versus someone you don't know, but know they're still a dermatologist, for example? I, oh, I think it just depends on what the letter is. You know, if it's someone I know, but it's not the greatest letter, that doesn't help the applicant that much. Uh, if it's someone I know and it's an amazing letter, then great, you know. Um, but I would rather just see very strong letters from whoever wrote them in terms of choosing who we're going to interview. Right. Okay, great. Well, this has been so helpful. Thank you so much for doing this with us today. I'm curious, do you have any last thoughts for applicants that are maybe stressed this year or, you know, <laughs> trying to put their final, you know, bells and whistles on the application? Any other last thoughts? Yeah, I think uh, it. I think it's always stressful. I think this year is much more so than usual. I think that the persistence works in people's favor. So if someone doesn't match this time and they get some good feedback as to why they might not have matched, applying again in the future is a great alternative if this is what they want to do. Some of our best. Uh, residents and faculty have been people who didn't match the first time around. So it's it's not a, a closed gate if for some reason it doesn't work out this year. Yeah, thank you so much for uh, interviewing me. Oh, thank you for doing this, Dr. Wiss. You're the best. Thank you, Stephen. How great was that? Imagine how lucky I am that Dr. Wiss is my program director. I hope you found this interview helpful and incorporate some of the tips she provided into your own applications. As always, feel free to reach out to me at steven at roadtorank.com if you have any questions about today's podcast or anything else that comes to mind related to the residency application process. It would be so great if you could leave a positive review wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And don't forget to head to the website roadtorank.com, where I'm featuring a new blog filled with advice for a successful residency match. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And to those of you about to submit residency applications, I'm wishing you the best of luck, and I'm rooting for you. You did great. Are we done? Oh my uh, gosh, Karen, that was so great. Perfect.